What is up, guys? I am Michael Hunter. This is the ACC Basketball Report, episode number 98, closing in on that century mark. Um, <clears throat> really special guest for you guys today, uh, the Notre Dame insider, Tom Noy, joins me, um, well, me and the chimp, and uh, just... <laughs> It went as I expected. It was it was awesome. Um, he has, you know, Tom is a, a veteran, I guess to say the least. He's been with the South Bend Tribune for 27 years, something like that. Um, worked, you know, shoulder to shoulder with head coach Mike Bray for Bray's entire time at Notre Dame. Um, he has intimate knowledge of the inner workings of the program, um, things that Mike Bray thinks and feels and his you know has a he just has a pull uh, his finger on the pulse of the program um i was ecstatic when i found out that tom was willing to come on because you know going back to my days um writing for slap the sign tom is a must follow i mean he's the first guy you follow when you start writing about notre dame tom is he's an authority on the program and uh, he was very forthcoming with us today um he was uh, he was a good sport when uh, the chimp put him in the bonus and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Here he is, Tom Noy. Farrell turns the key, drives the lane with three on the shot clock. Doesn't get it. Five seconds to play. Down the floor, a Kogi. He Thank you for joining us at the uh, ACC Basketball Report. As always, I'm Michael Hunter at ACCBR1 on Twitter. Joined, as always, by my partner, The Chimp. And today we have a very special guest, Tom Noy, who is the Notre Dame insider for both football and basketball. Tom, how you doing, man? Doing great. Good to talk basketball with you on this 102-degree afternoon here yeah. in northern Indiana. So. Wow. That's got to be a uh, one. Yeah, that's, that, that can't happen very often up there, does it? Nope. <laughs> heat index, heat index, heat index is about 102. So it's good to talk basketball when it's so hot outside, and everybody's supposed to be getting ready and geared up for Notre Dame football. We're not. We're talking Notre Dame hoops. We're going to talk a little bit about football, just because some of the stories yeah. that are going around the ACC right now. Chimp, what's going on with you, man? Oh, not much. Uh, it's it's hotter in South Bend than it is where I am located in the southeast. And that's nice. uh, that's not that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but but I'm uh, you know excited for the uh, for the podcast today. Did a lot of research. Uh, watched Rudy again, so I feel like I'm ready. <laughs> Wait, is that is that a prerequisite? We had to watch Rudy before we did the podcast. <laughs> I hope not, because I didn't watch Rudy. <laughs> oh man, I'm done. <laughs> I, I've seen it many times. Rudy, we should have watched Rudy, and we should have watched um, um, Hoosiers. So, um, <clears throat> Tom, I guess. First time on the podcast, I thank you for making the time. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I've been writing for the South Bend Tribune since 1992. I graduated from the University of Dayton two years earlier. I spent two years as a sports editor at a small-town paper in Wilmington, Ohio. Came up to South Bend. My wife is a South Bend native. We decided, yeah, you know what? We've done as much as we can in Ohio. Let's, go. Let's move to Indiana. Moved here in 1992 with no job prospects. <laughs> just said, I'll, I'll see what happens. Maybe I'll get in with the South Bend Tribune. Maybe I'll get into advertising. Maybe I'll get into radio or TV or whatever it might have been. So I, I submitted a resume in the fall of 1992. They called me back one Friday night and said, hey, you want to come in? Start answering some phones for us, taking high school football calls and, and, and for, for that season. And oh, by the way, we need a beat writer to cover Notre Dame hockey <laughs> getting back into the CCHA that season you want to cover hockey 
I knew nothing about hockey. I said, <laughs> if it gets me in the door, I'm doing hockey. So I covered Notre Dame hockey in 92. I started covering Notre Dame football in 93. I spent five seasons for our Irish sports report for our longtime listeners, longtime readers of the South Bend Tribune. That was our offshoot where we, where we basically parked all our Notre Dame football coverage. Spent five years at Irish Sports Report covering Notre Dame football. And in 1998, the guy that was covering Notre Dame basketball, Eric Hansen, didn't want to do basketball anymore. Didn't like to travel. Didn't like all the flights out to the East Coast covering Big East at Georgetown or Villanova or Syracuse or wherever. He wanted to change it up and do football. I'm more of a basketball guy than I am Notre Dame football. So I said, you know what? Let's, let's do it. And 23 years later, I'm still the beat writer for Notre Dame men's basketball, also the columnist for the South Bend Tribune, covering basically just about everything since our staff is about four people. you got to do a little bit of everything. So I'm covering Notre Dame basketball, Notre Dame women's basketball, Notre Dame football, high school stuff, any other breaking news around the area. I do it, and that's about it. Was Did you grow up a Notre Dame fan, or is that your team? Your, your, since you were a did, kid? Did not. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, Buffalo Grove, Illinois, which is about 30 miles to the northwest of downtown Chicago. A lot of Notre Dame fans there, a lot of uh, Notre Dame football fans. I could pretty much take it or leave it. Like, Notre Dame football was on, the, the replays were on Sunday mornings. Sometimes on uh, the replays, again, also on ESPN on Saturdays. Would watch that, but didn't follow Notre Dame religiously. Wasn't a big Notre Dame fan. And lo and behold, I, I wind up working here in this market for, what, the last 27 years, basically, covering Notre Dame athletics. So, strange how those things work out. Yeah, it's incredible. How, you know, I've had uh, Jeff Goodman and some other, play, uh, some other guys on this podcast before. I've never asked this question, but how does one become an insider? Is it just <laughs> spending time around the team and developing relationships, or, or how does that work? Well, first of all, on your first year in the beat, you you... you you spend Thanksgiving holiday away from your family for the first time, fly from South Bend to Anchorage, Alaska, <laughs> and proceed to watch the Notre Dame men's basketball team lose in the Great Alaska Shootout to a Division II team Ooh. in overtime in Alaska Anchorage. You cover three head coaches your first three years on the beat, and if, for people that know, there's nothing worse when you're a beat writer than covering a, uh, a basketball, a, a coaching search, whether it's football, whether it's <laughs> basketball. I did it twice my first two years on the beat. My wife looked at me and said, when, when the whole Matt Doherty, Mike Bray transition was happening, she looked at me and said, tell me again why you didn't want to cover football. <laughs> you know, Lou Holtz had been there for so long. Then it was Bob Davies. So there was some sort of stability for football. And here I am covering, spending my first two summers covered coaching searches. So you cover coaching searches. You wind up covering a guy like Mike Bray for 20 years. You cover the Big East. You've got to make connecting flights. South Bend to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh to, to Bradley International, to Philly, to D.C. for 15 years while you're covering Big East basketball. You're covering games at Madison Square Garden that don't end until 1, 1.30 in the morning. You go back to your hotel room in Midtown Manhattan, jump in the shower, pack up your stuff, and go to LaGuardia Airport for a 6 a.m. flight. So a lot of years covering the Big East. The last what six, seven? Mm. I even lose track. Covering covering the ACC, and it was almost like like I, I like to steal Mike Bray's line, where Mike Bray says, "When they moved from the Big East to the ACC, it was, for him it was like taking a new job mm -hmm. because the league was all new, and it was really it was for me like taking a new job 
because instead of going into D.C. and Philly and New York, you're going into places like Raleigh-Durham and, and, and Chapel Hill and all the places in the southeast where you fly out of South Bend, Indiana, and there's two feet of snow on the ground at 30 below zero. You go to North Carolina in February, and it's 65 degrees. And, hey, what's that big, that big yellow ball that's in the sky? You can actually see the sun. So it was, it, it was almost like it was as rejuvenating as it was for Mike Bray to take for the eight for Notre Dame to move into the ACC, it was rejuvenating for me as well because you're covering a different league, different teams, different arenas, and you know I've been able to have the best of both worlds: being able to cover the Big East, being able to cover the ACC, and at those at that time when Notre Dame has been in those leagues, those have been the two best leagues in the, in the country. So a lot of work, a lot of travel, a lot of late nights. Only then can you become an, a true insider for a basketball <laughs> program. Chimp, you work in the media. Do you have any of those uh, those similar crazy days, crazy weeks? Nah, not really. Um, and <laughs> you're not doing really it right if you're not. Well, well, and Tom, I'm not an insider either. So uh, <laughs> you know, I, I do some radio, and you know, you run into some adventures here and there, especially you know, a late finish and. Mm-hmm. getting out of there late and that kind of thing, but nothing like Tom is describing. And I've never been to Anchorage, Alaska either. <laughs> that was the first and only time I've been to Anchorage. And if I never have to go back where the sun doesn't come up until like 1030 in the, in the morning and then by 330 in the afternoon, it's like pitch dark out. So the Anchorage trip was tough, but being able to go to Honolulu, being able to go mm-hmm. to the, uh, go to Maui, uh, the Vir- they've been to the Virgin Islands, so there have been trips that have been a little offset having to go to, to to Anchorage, Alaska, my first year on the beat. I bet. What do you think, or, or do you think that the move to the ACC from the Big East has been a good move for the program? Yeah, it, it it was a move that they had to make. Like I still remember when all those conference chairs were being shuffled, and it was how is everything going to play out? There were some people that are no longer on the staff of the South Bend Tribune that were convinced. They were absolutely convinced that Notre Dame was going to become a member of the Big 12. And I still remember that day. I was over, it was in the, during the summertime, and I was over on campus uh, doing some basketball stuff, and I was talking with Mike Bray, and Mike Bray's like, you know what? If we're going to the frickin' Big 12, I'm getting my resume ready because there was nothing in Mike Bray's past, present, and future that had any tie to Big 12 basketball. And it, was, it was like, you know, I, Everything that he's done has been out on the East Coast, I-95 corridor, Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. Philly, that entire area, and then coaching in the Midwest. Notre Dame, there was no chance that Notre Dame could go to the Big 12. So, yeah, everybody wants to knock Jack Swarbrick about this or knock Jack Swarbrick about that. And for some things, maybe rightfully so, but the way that Jack Swarbrick was able to engineer Notre Dame going into the ACC parking all of its programs in that league, a premier basketball league, and still keep Notre Dame football independent, you got to take your hat off to him in, in, in that regard because the way the, the, the dominoes were falling and the pieces were being moved around the board, it looked like there was no way they were going to be able to, to do something. They had to get out of the Big East. Like the Big East, before they said, let's save it with all the Catholic schools mm-hmm. and, and keep the Big East name, they were bringing in schools like TCU, and SMU and Boise State may or may not have been in. Like, I, I just, I just, and East Carolina was part of that. Like, Notre Dame and East Carolina in the same basketball conference and going to to play at East Carolina for a basketball game. 
for Notre Dame, that, that just didn't fit. Right. So for them to get into the ACC and do what they did those two years in 15 and 16, that's nothing sure of remarkable. Is it, do you think the situation is similar in the ACC right now with Boston College? As far as them kind of being, not, I don't want to say outcast, but maybe the one that doesn't quite fit? Yeah, Notre Dame's always going to be an outcast because of football. Like, even, even when... Even when Notre Dame was winning the ACC tournament championship and beating Carolina at Duke back-to-back nights in Greensboro, there, I'd say there was a pretty good faction of people from the ACC that did not want Notre Dame, did not want that trophy to reside in South Bend for mm. that season. And, and, and I just it's funny because I just went back and watched the ACC had, had been running a lot of their documentaries on the ACC tournament in 2015, 2016, mm. 2017. I watched the 2017 highlight video, the one that Notre Dame got to the championship game against Duke, and it went 42 minutes out of the hour-long program before the word Notre Dame was even mentioned <laughs> in there. So it's something where Notre Dame's always going to be a little bit different in the ACC because of football, because of where it's located, because of all those other factors as far as college football and, 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 and that sort of thing where they're always going to be considered considered an outsider, which makes what they did in 2015 even that much more remarkable. Because there was a time where they were beaten, where they beat Duke like six times, where they owned North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I think they beat North Carolina four or four or five times in a row, and it was something where you know, regardless of what happened, 17, 2017, 18, 19, they were able to establish themselves in that league and establish an identity like. Hey, we belong in this league, and that was pretty cool. Um, one thing that's going around the ACC right now, one of the bigger stories, is the ACC is planning on going to a ten plus one schedule in football, or at least kicking the idea around. Notre Dame would be included, or completely included, in the ACC for football this year. Be required to play those ten games and, and, the, and the plus one. Um, since they since they made the move to the ACC, they have remained independent, as you said. I think they're required to play six ACC games a year right now. Um, yep. They collect they collect money from the ACC from the, I guess the profit sharing. We'll just call it for lack of a better term. They also get money from NBC, where they have an exclusive deal with them, the USC games, and and all that stuff. What are your thoughts on Notre Dame football remaining independent and this year be- becoming a full-time member? And is that a sign of things to come, or is that just a one-year deal, do you think? I think everybody needs to pump the brakes on this whole ACC Notre Dame thing. Like, we have to remember, we're in the middle of a freaking global pandemic. Yep. Like, this isn't a normal year. If this if this was a normal year and Notre Dame was, was, was trying to say, hey, let's back out of all these games against Western... Let's take the Western Michigan home game out. We don't want to play Arkansas. We want to break the, the what, 92-year, whatever it is, commitment that we have to play the Naval Academy. Mm-hmm. We're not going to play Stanford. We're not going to go to Los Angeles and play USC at the end of the year because we're going to play an ACC-heavy schedule. Then I think that's time for everybody to get worked up over it. Mm-hmm. But this is – not to mention, can we, can we get to week zero? Can we get to the first week? <laughs> And actually see games? Like, is there going to be a season? Because I'll tell you right now, the general consensus is we're in the same pattern as what college basketball was in March. Like, mm-hmm. all, all the guys that covered Notre Dame football in this area, they're wringing their hands and they're worried and they don't want to talk about it. And I want to tell these guys and say, look, I've been down this road. And it was in March yeah. where 
where the, the Ivy's canceled, and then, hey, maybe we can go forward, but just with, not without fans in the stands. And then maybe we can do this, and, and eventually the dominoes start falling to where the, the, the conference tournaments are canceled and the NCAA tournament's canceled, and basically spring sports is absolutely wiped out. There has been nothing, and I know it's kind of off-topic, but it, it, this, is, this is what it leads to when you talk about the ACC and Notre Dame. There has been nothing that's happened here in the last couple of weeks that gives anybody any, any indication they're going to play a, 12, uh, a 10-game regular season yeah. or they're going to play a 12-game regular season with everything that's happened w- with the pandemic. So we're in, we're in really weird times, and because of that, athletic directors have been forced to scramble to where they were supposed to be more of, more of they had hoped to be more of a united front, like we're all going to do this together. We're all in this together, Where whether it's a power conference, whether it's not a power conference. The SEC is going to be, do the same thing as the Big Ten. The Big Ten is going to do the same, the same thing as the ACC. And then all of a sudden you see the Big Ten goes, yeah, we're not playing that conference games. We're just going to play conference games. Mm-hmm. And now it's basically every league for itself. So Notre Dame joining the, Notre Dame joining the ACC this year, Let's get to an actual season and get maybe five, six, seven weeks into it before people start worrying about, if, is this the future? But I'll tell you right now, Notre Dame has given no indication to the ACC, and John Swafford knows this. Mm-hmm. He knew it going in. He knew it in 2013 when he extended the invitation for Notre Dame to come aboard. Notre Dame has given the ACC zero indication that it's ready to become a full-time member, and I don't see that changing. No, I don't think it makes sense for them to do so monetarily. They make more money the way this it's set up now, I believe. Um, Jim, actually, they don't. No. I don't think they do. I think they would make more money from the ACC and the the, the revenue generated by the ACC network if they join the league. Mm-hmm. But for Notre Dame, it's not about it's not about money because I can never see the University of Notre Dame and people and say it's elitist, it's this, it's that, it's the fu attitude that they have, whatever it is. I can never see the University of Notre Dame being told that on this date you are required to go play a football game at noon against Wake Forest or you're going to play a noon home game against Virginia Tech. Like one of the reasons Notre Dame wants to remain independent is it gives them scheduling flexibility to where if they want to play a night game against USC in mid-October every other year, they can do that. If they want to play a night game against Clemson, they have the ability to do that. You go into a league, and all of a sudden, the league is dictating what network you're going to be on, what time you're going to play, and the opponents that you're going to play. So the scheduling flexibility that Notre Dame has, I just don't see them giving that up anytime soon. Chimp, anything to add or any anything that you're willing to dig into here? Well, I am not even close to being convinced that we're going to – we may start football – Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not convinced that we're going to finish football. Um, just everything that I've seen, I, I just don't see how we make it through a season. And as Tom mentioned, the I, I don't know if, what the right word is, you know, disorganization. There's no continuity really there between the conferences. You know, everybody's kind of going their own way. Um, <laughs> so. I don't know. I'm down in SEC country, and down here, as you know, the people down here want football, Mm -hmm. and they want it bad. Uh, But I'm just not so sure that with the way things are going that we're going to see uh, a full season. 
I really believe that. And I was going to comment on Notre Dame and the ACC from someone that lives down here in the southeast that watches Notre Dame from afar. I've always thought that the Big Ten, obviously, is a geographical fit. Um, that's the way I've looked at it. Now, the I'm glad that Notre Dame's in the ACC in basketball. I think it's very entertaining. But I also agree with Tom that Notre Dame is – probably the only school in the country that has national, I don't want to say appeal, but a national fan base as well. Mm-hmm. So really, I agree with a lot of the things Tom said, especially especially with the scheduling flexibility. If Notre Dame makes the BCS, uh, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, but they don't have to share a dime of that money with anybody. Is that correct? That is correct. They get, they get to keep that all to themselves. Oh, wow. Right. So, you know, there are a lot of uh, things that, you know, uh, let me say this. I understand why Notre Dame stays independent in football. I, I completely understand that. Yeah, and the the, the regional discussion, it, that Notre Dame does not get involved in any of that. Like, yeah, it would be great if Notre Dame played Michigan or Michigan State in, in football and basketball. But the one thing out of maybe all else that Notre Dame does is consider itself a national school. Like Jack Swarbrick points to the fact that when they went to the, the, the BCS semifinal a couple of years ago, they were the only team in college football that played in New York City, in Chicago, and in Los Angeles in one year. And they've, they've done that like three or four times. Like they, they consider themselves a national program to where they want to go to California every year. They mm-hmm. want to get into the big NFL stadiums. Look at this, this season. Had this season held together, they were playing Georgia Tech, not at Grant Field. They were playing that in the Mercedes-Benz uh, Dome in downtown Atlanta. Mm-hmm. They were going to play Wake Forest, not at, in Winston-Salem. They were going to play at the Carolina Panthers Stadium. <laughs> so they, they consider themselves more of a national brand to be able to go into those NFL type of stadiums and play those those spotlight games instead of being told like if you're in the Big Ten they have a they have a game every week where uh, they'd be playing an 11 a.m. kickoff at the University of Minnesota. I just don't see how that appeals to a, a, a school that has a national brand like Notre Dame. Right. I totally I totally agree, Tom. And I'll tell you this: when you watch Notre Dame on TV, be it in L.A. or New York, the mm-hmm. Notre Dame people show up. The fans. Are there every game I watch? I mean, it, Notre Dame people they they you know they show up, and that's a great thing. And the the times that they have played in the ACC on in on campus venues, whether it's at Wallace Wade Stadium at Duke or Keene Stadium at Carolina, every time they go to an ACC school the first time, they're drawn sellout crowds. Like mm-hmm. Duke, I think Duke when they played Duke last year in November, that was the largest crowd in Duke history. So. The, Love them, hate them, like them, dislike them. They're drawing fans. And, and until that changes, Notre Dame says, yeah, you can have your ACC. We're going to keep our independence. Yeah, I think uh, you know, Chimp, Chimp brings up a good point. They're obviously going to try um, to bring football and basketball back this year. Baseball did get started in the past couple of days, which has been great, I think. I've been watching more baseball maybe this weekend than I have in the last five years. Um, you know, just because we're sick of Corona doesn't mean that we need to just ignore it and hope it goes away. I think there's still some precaution that we need to take. It's, it's very interesting to me, some of the things that are going on at the, uh, at the NBA bubble where, 
they're they're remaining socially distant on the bench, but you're allowed to go on the court and go shoulder to shoulder and and, and play against each other physically. So that's that's been interesting as well. But I, I do think we're going to give it a go in football. I hope we do. Um, I'm not a huge college football fan, but I, I need things to write about as well so I can make that money. <laughs> um, what uh, I guess switching gears, getting back to the hardcore. Um, what's your current? What's your feeling about the current state of the basketball program? It's on a reboot. Like anything that they did in going to back-to-back elite eights in 2015 and 2016, mm-hmm. those that's been completely wiped out. Like it, it, it feels like it feels like ten years ago instead of five years ago to where like we talked about where they beat Duke and Carolina to win the ACC tournament, and then they go to the elite eight that year, almost beat Kentucky, should have beat Kentucky, should have gotten to a Final Four for the first time since '78. Ever since those that, that, that back-to-back season, and then even a little bit of 2017, to where they're basically running on fumes, it just hasn't been the same program. And and we could sit here, we could talk for like nine hours, <laughs> and literally, I I might talk for nine hours on that subject. <laughs> but it's just been it's been one element after one another after another after another that puts us sitting here at like they're ten and ten last year, and, and that that's. That's, that was about as good as it was going to get for them last year, being able to go 10-10 in the league after coming off the mat at 3-15 and 15 the previous season. Um, has it been, going back to after the Elite Eight season, has it just been a string of bad luck? Or I mean, you go back to basically when Bonzi broke his foot and Matt Farrell had a – he had some kind of – I want to say it's a wrist, but I wasn't, I'm not quite sure. Um, ankle. Ankle, yep. Um, and then, you know, you fast forward to the following year, um, Rex Fluger blows out his knee, his mom becomes very ill and I believe passed away. Um, Robbie Carmody was a, a promising incoming player. He's now been injured for two consecutive seasons. Um, if they're healthy and if they have a little bit better luck, is the program, does the program end up where it is right now? Probably not. And I think all this started to turn. In 2017, you have to remember, they're playing the ACC Tournament Championship against Duke at Barclays Center. Mm-hmm. They had just beaten Florida State. Actually, they beat Virginia first, which had been their absolute nemesis. They beat Virginia, then they beat Florida State. Then they're up three with eight minutes to play and really controlling that game against Duke. And I remember sitting there at courtside at Barclays Center thinking, holy cow, Notre Dame is going to win an ACC tournament for the second time in three years. This is, this is staggering to think about. And then what happens? Bonzi Colson turns his ankle. Jason Tatum decides, you know what? I think this is going to be the time that I turn on my salary drive to get to the <laughs> NBA and becomes all-world the last eight minutes of that game. And they lose that game. Okay? They lose it. And they're really running on fumes, and Mike Bray has admitted as much, going into the NCAA tournament against Princeton in Buffalo. And, and they barely get that game. And then they just get their doors blown off by West Virginia. And things just just haven't been the same like all the luck that they had accumulated and all the good fortune that they had in going through the 2014-15 season and almost getting to a final four and staying healthy i think there was only one guy that missed any amount of time and that was zach august who missed the game in atlanta the regular season game in atlanta because of academics that missed any that missed time because of something that wasn't basketball related so all that good fortune and that good luck just started to, to, to catch up on them. Like they, and then they win, they win Maui, they beat Wichita State. Mike Bray takes his shirt off in the locker room, runs around half naked. It's just never been the same since. 
Bonzi Colson breaks his leg or breaks his breaks his foot. Matt Carroll Matt Farrell turns his ankle. You got to remember DJ Harvey goes through uh, knee, serious knee surgery. He goes he, he goes through certain knee surgery that costs him the the rest of his freshman year. Yep. And it's microfracture surgery. And when they went in there, they had no idea it was going to be as bad as it was until they had to do the surgery. He was never the player that he was. So it was it was one injury after another. It was one misstep after another that you know you look at two like you look at 2018-19 you you lose Matt Farrell you lose Bonzi Colson after all that that previous year they really should have got to the NCAA tournament in 2018 like yes. Syracuse took their spot they beat Syracuse at Syracuse to go 3-0 and in league play for the first time in, in school history but Syracuse becomes the last team in Notre Dame is the la- the first team out in 2018 then you start 2018-19, fresh start. No Bonzi Colson, no Matt Farrell. But four games into it, you have a guy who's a team captain in Elijah Burns. Yeah. Now, I love Elijah Burns as a person. Elijah Burns knew what the score was, knew what the deal was in 2018-19. He wasn't going to play, but he was going to be more of a guy like Austin Torres to where he was going to be the glue that was going to help hold the locker room together. He was going to be a team guy. He was going to be a guy that was going to preach Mike Bray's message. And what happened? Four games in, he's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm leaving. That's it. I quit. So just a lot of weird stuff happening. And then Rex gets hurt after maybe playing his best game that he's ever played in a Notre Dame uniform to where you didn't know what 2018-19 was going to be for this basketball team after they lost Colson and Farrell. But then when they played Purdue down in Banker's Life, and Rex is kind of doing his thing, and then you see, all right, this is, they have the makings of an NCAA tournament type of team, and they beat a Purdue team that almost went to the freaking Final Four that year. Right. They beat Purdue that day, and then Rex goes down. And as soon as Rex goes down, I liken it back to 2013-14, to where that was the year that Notre Dame lost Jaron Grant to academics, mm-hmm. and basically it blew up the entire season. I remember standing with Mike Bray in Bankers Fieldhouse, and we were talking about it like, this is Jaron Grant all over again. Like everything that they thought the season was going to be with Rex Fluger is kind of being the glue guy, the senior voice, the captain. He was going to help lead. Like John Mooney and TJ Gibbs, they had no idea how to be captains that year. So when Rex goes down, it's got to be Mooney, Gibbs, and a bunch of freshmen that have absolutely no clue about what college basketball is all about. Then they finish 3-15. and 15. So it's just been a series of bad things that have happened to this basketball team to where Mike Bray has always said, a season and a program is really fragile. Mm-hmm. And you look at him, you're like, Mike, what the hell are you talking about? Like, it's not fragile. But in 14-15 and 15-16, it wasn't fragile. Like, this, team, this thing was on cruise control. And then now you look at it and you say, you know what? Now I understand why, it's, why you think it's fragile because there's such a fine line to where – you're either going to go twelve and eight in the ACC, or you're going to go three and fifteen. I think you know we should talk about Bray a little bit. Bray is one of my, if not my favorite coach in in the country. Um, it just he seems like a like a good time guy. Um, I think the only way to really uh, explain him is that he's a, like a jovial person. I believe um, the game brings him great joy. The last two years, it looks like the current trajectory of the program is starting to wear on him a bit. Um, is that me reading too much into it, or is it starting to, to, to take a toll on him? 
after they went three and fifteen in the league, I met with Mike Bray for about two hours that March, and we usually get together and go to lunch. Yeah, sometime in May, early June. But at this point, after three and fifteen, he's like, "Screw it, you know, let's let's go to lunch." It was the day of the NCAA tournament, so he's like, "Let's let's meet for lunch. We'll sit down. We'll talk." I was convinced after leaving that lunch meeting with Mike Bray that he had maybe a year left because he was that worn out. He was just that spent because everything that he tried that year, every button he tried to push didn't work. And all the time that he's been here at the University of Notre Dame coaching the Irish, any button that he pushed, it would usually work. Like they lose, oh, my God, what are they going to do? They lose Luke Herringody. Well, I've got this thing called the burn offense. We're going to put the burn offense in, and it's not going to matter. We're going to win like four games in a row. We're going to win at Georgetown. We're going to win at Marquette in overtime. And you look up, and, you, and all of a sudden they're back in the NCAA tournament without Luke Herringody. Mm-hmm. You know, so every button that Mike Bray's always pushed at Notre Dame has worked until that season, and it took its toll on them. The last year took its toll on them. Like when they're when they go to when they go to two and six after losing to Tallahassee. Because this didn't happen and that didn't happen, and the Notre Dame fans that I heard from are saying, "Why didn't you support Notre Dame?" Because the the referees, you know, screwed them. And they're like, look, you still got to go out and make the play to win a basketball game. And they weren't able to do that. And they're two and six coming out of Tallahassee, and Mike Bray goes off in his post game press conference. I was thinking, you know what, this is the beginning of the end. Like that's something he had never done in twenty years. Right. And then it, 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 he had a he had a repeat performance when they lost to Florida State up in Bristol Pavilion where he slammed down his, his headset and walked off his, his post-game interview. And I'm thinking, these are things that he's never done, and maybe he just doesn't care anymore. Like, this is it. I'm finished. But after going 2-6, and six, they bounced back, and they won 9 of their last 13. And I think he started to see a little bit. He started to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, there, there's, there's some stuff here to work with with this current junior class in Prentice Hub and Dane Goodwin and Nate Lashevsky and a guy that nobody talks about but will be talking about if they have a season, and that'll be Cormac Ryan. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's some stuff there to work with to where instead of being closer toward the end of the line, maybe I'll finish out my contract that runs through 24-25, finish it out with this, with this current junior class, see where the next couple of years take me, and then by then he'll be at Notre Dame for like what 25 years, mm-hmm. and he'll be ready to, to, to maybe move on and do something else. Chimp, anything to add on Coach? Well, let me say this. The 2014-15 team was a joy of a basketball team to watch. They played the game beautifully. And those two nights at the ACC tournament, I was watching both nights, and it was a joy to watch those guys play. They played together. The ball movement was wonderful. And watching them beat Duke just uh, just was wonderful. And then to, to, to top it off the next night, uh, beating North Carolina to win the ACC championship was incredible. Um, so I'll say this. I've always been a big Mike Bray fan. I love the way he coaches. I love his demeanor. Uh, I, I, but where they're at now, it doesn't look the same to me. Um, it, really watching him a couple times last year, um, obviously I don't think the personnel is quite as good. Yeah. Um, I, ho- I hope, Tom, that he does uh, get it turned around because – when he has the right personnel and he's playing, the, getting his guys to play the way he wants to play, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful team to watch. So I, I'm, I'm just a big, big Mike Gray fan. 
Well, the pieces didn't fit the last two years. Like 3-15, and 15, write that off the fact that you didn't get the type of leadership you expected from a guy like T.J. Gibbs. Like, God, T.J. Gibbs, I love T.J. as a person. He and I have had our moments. But there's just there was just something about T.J. Gibbs to where he scored all those points, he played all those minutes, he had all those starts, and never in his Notre Dame career was he voted to even an honorable mention all conference team at the end of the season by the coaches. So I mean that that has to that 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 says something. That says a lot about how other coaches viewed TJ Gibbs to where you kept expecting him to make this next jump that so many Notre Dame guards had done, so many Notre Dame players had done during their career to where they're really good, pretty good freshman, sophomore, the junior, senior, they're really, really good, like all league good. He never did that. John Mooney can only do so much. And then same with Rex Fluger. Like Rex, Rex was a broken player come the end of his career, but they just didn't have any other option. Like the, the pieces the last two years, they just didn't seem to fit. I think this year they may fit a little bit better if we can get into the regular season. We'll be able to see more from guys like Hub and Goodwin and Leshevsky to where he's, where it's like they're not going to be as good as 14-15 or even 16, 15-16. But you can say that's more like Notre Dame basketball than what than what we saw the last two seasons. Well, watching uh, Jerry and Grant, uh, Pat Connaughton, Demetrius Jackson, August Vestoria, Beecham, Colson, I mean, that team fit perfectly together. They had a rotation. Everything worked. And when that happens, you win 32 games. And you're, mm-hmm. you're uh, you know, a couple possessions away from the Final Four. And I just hope Mike Gray can get back to that because I like the guy. I I have well I guess the, the question I have is we, we you kind of touched on it there for a second but this year's team I I like Prentice Hub um, I think he's a very gifted offensive player but maybe not um, the strongest decision maker I guess is the best way I can put that being trying to trying to be nice about it um, he has a shot I think to lead the ACC in scoring this year but. Does does his offensive ability uh, equate to Notre Dame having a successful season? No, and I don't want Prince Hub to lead the ACC in scoring, right. and I don't want Prince Hub. I don't want Prince Hub to lead Notre Dame in scoring. Mm-hmm. Like he should be a point guard first. And I, I, this is what I love about Prince Hub, and people have knocked him for the last two years with his shot selection, yep. with his decision making. What, what Prentice Hub really brings to this team is a swagger yep. that T.J. Gibbs and Rex Fluger and John Mooney just couldn't do it. Like, when they, when they go on the road and they're all up in, in, in Prentice Hub's grill, the, the opposing fans are up in Prentice Hub's grill like they were in Syracuse when he got into his little tiff with Joe Girard last yep. year. What does Prentice Hub do? He doesn't shrink. He goes in and he knocks down a couple of threes right, right in their faces and then lets them hear about it, sure. which is a great thing. Like, I love the swagger that he plays with to where he's unafraid. He plays better on the road than he plays at home. Now, become more of a cerebral point point guard. Like, people forget when he walked in the door, he was walking right into a starting spot to replace Matt Burrell, yep. who was a third-team All-ACC guy his senior year. They basically gave him the ball and said, sink or swim. And his assist-to-turnover ratio was one of the tops in the league. That's right. Everybody focused on the fact that he took dumb shots, he took bad shots, he took questionable shots. But you had to, you, you got to look at the assist to turnover ratio and what he was able to do and what he was being asked to do. Like, Prentice Hub can go out and get himself 20. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know if, if that's in the best interest of this basketball team 
this season for, for Hub to go get 20. I'd rather he get 14, limit his turnovers, shoot a higher percentage, yeah. and make sure guys like Leshevsky, Goodwin, Cormac Ryan, and especially Jawan Durham, get more touches and get more scoring opportunities. Like, he can score. Forget that. Let him, be, let him become a really good point guard in the ACC. Yeah, and uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, didn't Gerard come alive in that second half as well? They were kind of going at each other. I think, did Syracuse win that game and Gerard had maybe his breakout game of the season? Was, is my... No, Notre Dame, Notre, Dame, Notre Dame won that Notre game. Notre Dame did win that game, okay. But um, yeah, Gerard, Gerard went crazy, Hub went crazy, and you know, for, for a good chunk of the season, that was one of the most entertaining games in, in, in all college basketball. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got uh, a buddy of mine who's actually been on the podcast a couple times. This is uh, Nathan Erbach, um, writes for Sports Illustrated covering Notre Dame. And uh, he he's told me that the, the media people and the coaching staff that have seen Cormac Ryan play, for those of you who don't know, Cormac Ryan's a transfer from Stanford. Um, he is, he's the real deal. Like, he's uh, just a, a well-rounded player that can do everything on the court. And he said that he, he's very confident that he's going to be one of the best players in the ACC before it's all said and done. Well, even even before this season started, where he, he sat out the year, had the red shirt, so he's just, he's just playing in practice. You get to Purcell Pavilion early, you see Cormac Ryan working out with, with one of the team managers, and he's knocking down three-pointers well behind the three-point line. Seven, eight, nine, ten in a row. Six, seven, eight, nine in a row. Like the guy can absolutely shoot. And the one comparison that Mike Bray likes to make with Cormac Ryan is he's Ben Hansborough like. <laughs> and if you remember what Ben Hansborough yeah, did in 2010, 2011, to where Mike Bray always liked to say Ben Hansborough can have has such a fire that he could heat a building up or he could burn it down. <laughs> and I think you're going to see that in Cormac Ryan to where. It doesn't matter that, he, that the next game that he plays in at Notre Dame will be the first game he plays in. He has the respect of the coaching staff. He has the trust and the respect of his teammates. And if you're not going to do something, and if you do something wrong, you can bet that Cormac Ryan is going to light a fire under you. So it's more the it, it, Cormac Ryan's a, a very gifted basketball player, but I think it's going to be more the intangibles mm-hmm. that he brings that's really going to help elevate this junior class and push them in the right direction this basketball season. I know you, you touched on it earlier. Um, I, I guess we'll we'll take a look at it a little bit. We'll dive into it a little bit further. You, you said that Coach Bray, most likely after the 24-25 season, he may look to do something different. If you had, you know, when he signed that extension, I believe that he said in his statement that that was probably going to be his last contract. I, I believe that's what he said. That may not be for, verbatim. What do you think the chances are, if you had to put a percentage on it, that he coaches at in South Bend past 2025 it all remains to be seen what direction they're going to go like jack swarbrick i i i probably have to guess that jack swarbrick will not be the athletic director at notre dame after 20 or once that contract runs out at 24 25 like jack swarbrick wants to probably wants to do other stuff than just be the ad Mm -hmm. at notre dame and he's had to navigate through a lot of landmines during his career here, whether it's basketball, whether it's football, whether it's you know on-campus stuff, off-campus stuff. So Jack Swarbrick, it'll be hard for me to see him going five more years. And he and Mike Bray are kind of connected. Like they're, If there's a better working relationship between an athletic college athletic director and a men's college basketball coach in the country, it, it's going to be hard. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better one than, than Swarbrick and Bray. So 
what happens with Jack Swarbrick, and then who, be, who becomes the AD after Jack Swarbrick? And then there's not a college coach in the country, maybe even an NBA coach in the country, that doesn't believe that no matter how long he's been in a school, no matter how much success he's had, no matter what he's done or, how, or, or what age he is, they each one to a man believes that they still have one move left in them. Mm-hmm. Look at look at John Beeline. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Look at Buzz Williams. Look at you know Tom Crean. You can you can choose any number. Look at Mick Cronin. Mick Cronin is a Cincinnati native <laughs> and had no ties to the West Coast. And when UCLA comes calling, Mick Cronin says, "Yep, I think it's about time for my next challenge." Yeah, five and a half million. Can, do I, that. Yeah, and I can see I can see Mike Bray. Like, picture this. Whatever happens with, with the whole fallout of, uh, of the Mickey Mouse situations at Kansas, at LSU, at Louisville, you know, whatever happens moving forward. Say LSU AD decides, you know what, Will Wade's just too toxic for what we want to do and, and how we want to move forward. We just need to clean up this whole program because Will, Wade, Will Wade's on a wiretap <laughs> talking about paying players. And for someone, and in some way, he still got a job. Same right. thing with Sean Miller at Arizona. Like, explain to me how something like that happens. Mike Bray ever gets caught on a wiretap? Is ever is ever talking about buying players? He's out the door two days earlier. But say LSU says this whole thing with Will Wade, we just have to we just have to cut we just have to cut ties with him. We have to start fresh. We have to bring in a guy that's going to clean up the program. That's not going to get into trouble. It's not going to have the NCAA knocking on our door and looking over our shoulder. Let's go hire the cleanest coach in college basketball and give him $4 million a year. Well, how, if you're Mike Bray, why would you not take that offer? Right. You're not going to get paid $4 million a year at the University of Notre Dame. And if you feel like, you know what, I'm just going to take this money grab, I'm going to coach here for five years, I'll establish myself, it doesn't work out, they'll get rid of me, I'll have a nice little retirement severance package. And I'll be done coaching. I've I've made my bones. I'm the winningest coach in in, in Notre Dame men's basketball history. Why not take a chance? So I, I mean, you you never want to say never in college basketball. So you can't sit there and say, yeah, Mike Bray is going to coach until he's until the the end of the 24-25 season. His contract will be up, and then he's going to go sit on his, on his rear end in, in, on a beach in Florida and parachute into a TV job. All these coaches believe. Maybe I'll take just one more job and then I'll call it quits. Tom, I have a, I have a question for you. Uh, hypothetically, let's say something goes wrong. Uh, Notre Dame underperforms. Uh, things just spiral downhill, and Bray were to walk away. Who are a few names that you think would fit at Notre Dame if and when Bray is finished? Nobody yet. There's, it's not a clear cut. There's no clear cut front runner for this job. And again, it's what is you know everybody wants this wants to draw the the, the parallel line between Mike Bray's at Notre Dame and hey one of his ex players one of his former coaches is coaching at a place where he used to coach at the University of Delaware and Martin Inglesby. Martin Inglesby's got to be the odds-on favorite to replace Mike Bray. Well, what's Jack Swerver's thinking in all that? Like this is. This would be this. There is no succession plan, and I know that as a fact. To where it's not like women's basketball, where when Muffin McGraw decided, you know what, 
I really don't want to coach here anymore. They said, yeah, well, that's good because we've got Neil Ivey waiting in the wings. Martin, Martin Inglesby is not waiting in the wings, waiting for Mike Brady to decide that he's done at Notre Dame. So what does Jack Swarbrick think? Like, does Jack Swarbrick want to look at this hire and say, this is the last hire I'm going to do while I'm the AD at Notre Dame, and I really want to make a splash? Do I bring in a young black coach like, at the, like I did for the women's program? Bring in a black coach to coach at the University of Notre Dame. Do I bring in uh, a, a former or, or a current Notre Dame or a current NBA assistant? You know, if before before the, the the dominoes fell the way they did last year in the NBA, I was thinking, you know, Monty Williams is an is a Notre Dame graduate. He played here, went to school here, loved here. One of the greatest guys that you ever want to know. Maybe he'd be perfect to come back to the University of Notre Dame. Now he's in Phoenix as a head coach of the Sun, so he's kind of established. But there's not a clear-cut guy where you look at the ACC or the Big 12 or the Pac-12 and say, I can see that guy eventually going to the University of Notre Dame, just as you don't look at Duke and say, oh, when Mike Krzyzewski's leaving, Mike, Mike Bray's going to take that job. It's natural. That's not going to happen. <laughs> that was so, going to be my very next knows? question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, it's, it's too easy. And Mike Bray says, why in the world would I be the guy that's going to follow Mike K? Like that's 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 ridiculous. I understand that Kevin White's the AD at Duke, and Kevin White hired Mike Bray at Notre Dame, but that that job taking the taking the Duke basketball job is like taking the Notre Dame men's basketball or the Notre Dame football job. It's a monster. Mm-hmm. It's a twelve well, month, a twelve month a year job. Well, Mike, Mike, go Mike for a guy. Yeah, Mike Bray is infinitely too likable to be the head coach at Duke. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, what about Belanus, Tom? No. I mean, he's he's a good second lieutenant. He's yeah. an associate head coach. He'd love to be a head coach someday, but he's been involved in so many schools to where it, it's going to get it's gonna get to the point where maybe that window closes and maybe this is as good as it gets. Well, he's been he's okay been with Bray forever, right? I mean, yeah, has he yeah, had the opportunity in the past to, to move to a smaller school? Yeah, uh, he interviewed this this past offseason with Wisconsin Green Bay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's interviewed he's interviewed in the past with with, with some lower level mid major type of jobs that didn't work out. So if this is as good as it gets for Rod Belanus, at the end of the day, it's still pretty good because he's at Notre Dame. Sure, Tom, um, I thank you for taking the time. I'm going to turn it over to the chimp. He's going to put you in the bonus where it's just. Basically, a seven pack of questions that are completely random, and I haven't heard them, and he just kind of does his thing. Go ahead. There you go. Yeah. Now, Tom, let me warn you. This this gets a little weird at times. Just bear <laughs> with me, okay? <laughs> but here we go. Question number one: Who was the better two sport athlete at Notre Dame, Pat Connaughton or Jeff Samarja? You have to go with Jeff Samarja. Look at what he's done with the San Francisco Giants. Pat Connaughton. I love Pat. Pat's still my guy. But Pat's not making you know, whatever the whatever the hundred million dollar contract is that Samarja made. And Samarja left as a pretty good football player. Mm-hmm. He had he he was he was really good in football and bat and baseball. Pat Connaughton has just basically made himself an NBA guy. Yep. Right. I mean, both both of them were phenomenal. I'm, I'm just a huge fan of Connaughton. I always have been. Love that guy. All right. Yep. Question number two. Question number two. Who is your favorite author? And what is your favorite favorite work by that author? Favorite author? Uh, who? Let's see. I don't know if I have one. 
That's going to take a while. We'll come back to that one. All right, we'll, we'll circle back there. Question number three, who is the most media savvy athlete you have covered while at Notre Dame? <laughs> you know who was, who's the best guy? It was the first time. It was my first year back on the football beat in 2000, I want to say 17. Mike McGlinchey is the best interview, hands down. He gets it, win or lose. I think he was one of the one of only two guys that talked after Notre Dame had its doors blown off by Miami down there in South Florida that Saturday night. So Mike McGlinchey just absolutely gets it. And, and for guys that covered him for four years, they were absolutely spoiled because there's not going to be a guy that comes along in this day and age to where you kind of shy away from media stuff that's as plugged in and, and just absolutely top-notch as Mike McGlinchey. I've had a lot on the basketball beat. Like I, I'll roll through like 10 guys like Ben Hansborough, Bonzi Colston, whoever. None of them are as good as Mike McGlinchey. Mike McGlinchey, I have to look him up. That's interesting. Question number four, what is your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> I don't have one. I don't sing karaoke. It's got to be something by Springsteen, right? Because all, all college basketball writers worship Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> so let's, let's, okay. go, let's go with Springsteen racing in the street. How's that? Very good. Question number five. Now, I did a little research for this question, and we've already talked about it for just a bit. Would you rather spend November and December in Anchorage, Alaska, <laughs> or, or would you rather spend July and August camping in the desert with Bill Walton? <laughs> I'd ra- actually, you know what? I'd rather go to the desert with Bill Walton because I'm one of the guy. I'm one of the few guys I think that kind of gets Bill Walton. Like I love the fact that he's not breaking down zone defenses and he's not trying to solve a. This is how you solve a one-two-two press. Like you just you just wind him up and let him go. I've I've had the chance to talk with him and be around him and see him. He is one of the nicest human beings you'd ever want to come across. Like he did the he did the Notre Dame UCLA game here. I think it was last year, and he hung around and talked to every single person that wanted to say something to him a good hour hour and a half after the final buzzer, <laughs> and just sat there and talked, took pictures, signed autographs. He's offering a smile. He's offering a story. So forget Anchorage. I'm going to the desert with Bill Walton. And if he wants to smoke something while we're out there, that's fine, too. <laughs> very, very good. All right, question number six. You are a contestant on Jeopardy. What is a non-sports category that you could run the board with? Ah, non-sports category. Let's go, let's go with uh, airport codes. How's that? That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Because I've right, seen dude. enough of them, and I've been in enough of them for the last 25 years that I know airports. All right, so we're going to uh, go with question number seven, then we'll circle back here. All right, uh, this is a very soft question here, pretty weak. Uh, what is an a- who is an athlete you idolized as a kid? I loved the Showtime Lakers of the 90s, Magic Johnson, Michael Cooper, James Worthy, take anybody off those Showtime teams with Pat Riley in the in the late '80s. I'm taking those guys every single time. Well, that's back when the NBA was was watchable back then. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, listen. This is the first time we're doing this, so we're going to circle back to question number two. Uh, <laughs> your fa- your favorite author and favorite uh, uh, book by that author? Okay, favorite. Uh, let's not go favorite author. I'll go favorite journalist. How's that? Yeah, that's perfect. 
anything that Jim Murray, the Los Angeles Times, would write or has written, God rest his soul, you got to go read Jim Murray because he was the best of the best. Well, that's a good answer. And, Tom, you are now in the bonus. And, man, I really appreciate it. Learned a lot and just uh, very enjoyable talking to you today. Thank you. You got it. Tom, uh, again, I'll, I'll, I'll say the same. It's been insightful. It's been fun. I'm glad you took the time. And uh, I thank you for joining us on ACC Basketball Report. This pandemic runs any longer. You need time to kill and interview. Give me a holler anytime. We'll do, we'll do it again. Absolutely, man. Thank you very much. You got it, Michael. Take care, buddy. See you, Chip. That was Tom Noy of the South Bend Tribune, um, Notre Dame insider. Uh, just, <laughs> I had never talked to Tom. He just recently followed me on Twitter. I've been following Tim, uh, Tom for, for years, dating back to my days uh, when I wrote for Slap the Sign. Um, just a, a great guy. Um, he was, you know, as soon as I asked him, he said, absolutely, let's do it. Um, you know, got him on the schedule and uh, fantastic. And as he said at the end of the program, at the end of the program, you know, we'll be having him on again. Um, just a phenomenal guy, phenomenal talker, you know, a lot of insight, inside information in the program. That's why he is the Notre Dame insider. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Once again, the chimp nailed it. Um, I think that has gone from being an experiment to being the way that things are going to be moving forward. So uh, again, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm working on some stuff right now. Actually, the chimp and I are both working on some stuff right now. We have a lot of irons in the fire. <clears throat> I do not have a set guest for next week as of right now, but there are four possibilities, I guess. Um, I'm just waiting to hear back from any of them, and you know, based on everybody's schedule and 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 uh, and what we can work out, I know you guys will enjoy any of the four. Um, a friend of the program, Harold Little, is helping us um, kind of act as a as a go between for. For a former ACC coach, who I won't name right now, but may appear on the program, and it's going to be, it's going to be ACC related for some of it. But um, this coach is in the news recently, and um, I, I really hope that, uh, that that we're able to to get him in here and talk to him and have him share his story. It's going to be basketball related as well as off topic. So uh, hopefully we can make that happen. Um, uh, a young lady reached out to the chimp and and is interested in coming on the show. He's working on that, and then we have a couple other. Um, as I mentioned last week, Travis Mills. I've reached out to him. I've yet to hear back from him, so I'm not sure what progress we're going to make this week uh, on that front. And then there's one more huge guest that uh, I'm really hopeful the chimp has kind of spearheaded that one as well. I will not announce it until it's actually finalized, but I'm really hoping that that can happen as well. So we will have a show next week. I can't tell you who the guest is because I do not know. I want to shout out to Tom Noy and thank him for appearing today. As always, thanks to the chimp who has elevated this show um, You know, from its previous location where it was just me and, and a guest. I think he's awesome on the third mic. I want to thank... Um, Everybody who left a review and a rating this week on the Apple Podcast, we had a situation last week where um, somebody didn't, an NC State fan didn't agree with some of Sean's opinions and <laughs> gave me gave me a one star review because of the opinions of my guest when I was arguing the points against Sean and his rankings, which he did very well with. So it was an interesting week for the rating on Apple Podcasts. Um, some people saw that and came to my aid and, and you know, ranked the, ranked the show accordingly, rated the show accordingly, left nice comments. So I appreciate you guys as well. Um, don't forget, like, rate, review, share the podcast. 
get the word out there. This is the best ACC basketball podcast going. Um, I truly believe that. I think we have the best guests. I think we get a good amount of humor, a, a good amount of serious talk. I think that we're very well-rounded. I think this is the destination that people should be going to for ACC basketball news, notes, and uh, opinions. So thanks for your time. I'll see you next week. I am Michael Hunter. Follow me on Twitter at ACCBR1. Thanks. Later.